It's Tuesday, September 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Gentlemen, how's it going? Howdy. Great. Canada. Two days in a row. Yeah, it's good mm-hmm. to have you back. Feels good. Right? It's, you're a valuable member of the team, <laughs> Taylor. We're happy to have you. <laughs> Uh, We've got a lot going on today, plenty to talk about, but let's begin with Sears, which has announced it's borrowing $400 million from CEO Eddie Lampert's hedge fund, ESL Investments. Now, I don't know much about much, but when a company has to borrow this much money from its basically its own CEO, that can't be a good sign. First and foremost, why does Sears need this much cash? Well, I mean, that's you know, you 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 hit on the question there of why they need that money. I think you have to ask yourself, what do they plan to do with that money? And you know, we talked about that with Radio Shack here uh, last week. You know, they they regardless of whether they're going to get a cash infusion, the cash infusion that's not the news. The news is tell me what you're going to do with that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the filing, the filing says they're using the money quote for general corporate purposes. So they to stay alive. So, yeah, I mean that's, that, that's as that's as bland and, and generic as you can as you can get, right? And I mean this is actually um, a very short term loan. It matures in Dece- uh, December thirty first of this year. It can be extended a couple of months past that if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the rate here is pretty phenomenal. I mean it's five percent. I mean if you think about that for a second, five percent for this loan. If you look at Twitter's convertible debt that they just issued. The 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 debt that comes due in 2019 was at a quarter of a percent, mm-hmm. and the debt that comes due in 2021 is at one percent. Now, granted, this is convertible debt for Twitter, and it's a little bit different than what Sears has got. But I think that just goes to show the five percent there. Uh, you know, is is I think that just is a good signal that really the market's not terribly thrilled with with what they may or may not be able to do with this money. And I mean. Right. You know, let's just go look at Sears, the company, for for a moment here. I mean, the the income statement. You look, sales are down sixteen and a half percent from two thousand and ten. Uh, they don't even have a coverage ratio because their operating earnings are negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been unprofitable since two thousand and twelve. You know, I, I mentioned Radio Shack and their cash burn last week, and Sears really isn't much better. I mean, if you go back to two thousand and ten, they had about one point seven billion dollars in cash on the balance sheet. Today, that's down to about eight hundred thirty million. Gosh. So they're they're burning cash and they're not making money. So I mean, there are a lot of a lot of forces working against Sears. Um, and, and you know, Lampert's a He's got a number of different interests. So, I mean, it's interesting that he was able to work this uh, this financing deal out and use the collateral of twenty five properties that that Sears owns. So, right, so he, he's covered either way. <laughs> touching on that, has I've never heard of this before that a CEO of a company could basically lend money from one company to another. Is this a common thing? I don't get it. I mean, I don't know how common it is. I mean, you do see uh, companies out there with interesting sort of ownership structures. Where you know there are owners that are subsidiaries of other companies, and and you know they link uh, you know management together in those in those in that capacity. It's not very common. It seems like on the surface, if you see something like this, it, it seems like it would be unethical or potentially right. illegal, but but apparently it's not. <laughs> um, you know, but but still, I mean, for Sears shareholders, I mean, this to me just is kind of prolonging the inevitable sinking of the ships. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't look at this as an investor and say, "Ooh, this is." This is really how the tide's going to turn because I just don't think it is. Well, Taylor, let's touch on that. So Sears spun off Land's End. They mm-hmm. made a couple hundred million dollars. Six hundred million. Not to be bad. Yeah, not yeah. bad. They've been selling some real estate as well. Uh, they're looking for buyers for Sears Canada, for Sears Auto Center. Yep. Now they've got this cash cash infusion. So what's next for Sears? Let's start with the holiday season. Do you see them having an okay holiday season? Can they survive past December? 
I mean, I haven't been in a Sears in so long, I don't know what they sell during the holidays. Um, maybe they sell a lot of fake Christmas trees, mm. but to go back to Jason's sinking ship reference, I mean, it's got all the, the characteristics of that because they're casting off all non-essential items as far as assets to try and lose weight. Mm -hmm. They're taking on water in the form of debt. And I don't see how you can get a, a loan from your CEO other than if it was personal because he's coming from his hedge fund. He's got right. he's got shareholders from Sears that he's got to think about. And then he's got clients at his hedge fund to think about. Somebody's going to lose out. My guess is his hedge fund might have a little bit longer life than Sears. So he's probably giving them the better end of the deal. Um, yeah, they want to sell about four hundred more million dollars in assets this year. Uh, who knows what they're going to need to do in two thousand fifteen? Losing a billion dollars in six months is probably a pretty hard thing to do. But Sears is making it look easy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is this is at the end of the day. I mean, this really is an investment for ESL. I mean, ESL uh, launches and manages hedge funds for its clients. I mean, that's that's what you know Lampert does. So, I mean, this is an investment for ESL, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. ESL obviously benefits from this. And I think that Sears can last a lot longer. I mean, it's it's still they still have eight hundred million uh, or so uh, in cash on the balance sheet. I mean, it's not like it's going to go belly up tomorrow. But I mean, it's just the, the general longer the, the longer term trends at play here uh, with e-commerce and the way people are getting, you know, their 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 retail goods. I mean, that just Sears has not done anything to really play into that space. And at this point, I would fathom that it's too late. I mean, it's going to be really difficult to go out there and change consumers' behavior hmm. because your companies like Amazon have gotten out there, you know, at the very beginning and helped dictate this this space and sort of our expectations. I mean, Sears is never going to be able to compete with Amazon on the cost side of things. So they're really they're really between a rock and a hard place. They have twelve thousand, twelve hundred stores they can slowly run through. So, <laughs> sell them off one <laughs> by right. one each year. Sell a hundred. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. I'm, be I'm sure they'll survive. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to a topic close to my heart, at least. Uh, Microsoft has announced that it's agreed to buy Mojang AB, the developer behind the incredibly popular video game Minecraft, for two point five billion dollars. This is a pretty interesting deal for a number of reasons. Uh, one of which, Jason, is that my Microsoft doesn't exactly have a stellar track record with their acquisitions and and making full use of them, especially on the video game side. Run us through yeah. a couple of those. Well, I mean, I, I look at, yeah, Microsoft obviously does have a long history of making less than stellar acquisitions. <laughs> and so, I mean, just for that reason alone, I mean, I look at this one with a at least a hint of skepticism. Now, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, $2.5 billion for Microsoft is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 3% of the company's cash and short-term investments on the book. So, it, it is a drop in the bucket, so to speak, but, I mean, it's still $2.5 billion. Right. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that they are looking at this as sort of a content play and, and trying to play towards the younger audiences and the mobile devices that are getting in people's hands. And we were just talking about this earlier, how my, my daughters have been angling to try to download Minecraft for a while. We're, we're not quite there yet with doing that. But, but I mean, you're, you're looking at a generation of kids coming mm -hmm. up here that, that think this is a pretty cool game. Um, you know, I, I look at these games and think, well, they eventually lose traction. The, the best ones, it still happens. I mean, look at Activision Blizzard's World of Warcraft. I mean, as popular as that game is, you know, it's still bleeding subscribers. Mm -hmm. and, and then you have them developing new games. Um, what was the one? Destiny, I think, that just came out that did 500 I've heard of that game. Yes. So, I, I mean, you've I, only I guess, heard of it, right? You know, nah, the yeah. point is that those games, these games do 
do die over time, right? Mm. They, they they just lose popularity. And and the fact that the the founders of this company, the developers of this game, are not coming along for the ride here. Right. I mean, you got to at least wonder. I mean, at, at what point? Does this game lose traction, and then what do they do about it? So I I, I appreciate the content side of it, but I don't know. I mean, maybe you just you want maybe you just pay up and buy like a Netflix or a Hulu, and really you know get into the consumer's living room with something that that is proven to be much stickier over time. Right, Microsoft's banking on its marketing side of things, not necessarily. Minecraft sold like 50 million copies so far. You're not going to sell too many more of those. It's not going to be the growth driver. It's going to be the the community, as you said. Taylor, what are your thoughts? I don't know how it's going to impact their cell phone sales. It's not even available on their phones right now. Yeah. So the well, fact that, that 50 million people have it already means that they're going to have to try and get those 50 million people to either cross over from Android or iOS or try and figure out a way to bring up new buyers just because of this game. But if they haven't sold phones versus their competitors now, I don't see if one game is going to make a big difference, especially when it's not even offered still on Microsoft-based uh, phones. Uh, so, yeah, the whole argument for boosting phone sales just doesn't really jive with me. I agree. And also, uh, there's this this other angle. I'm, I'm, I follow video games, so I guess I, I know probably a little bit more about this particular topic. But Notch, the creator of Minecraft, he is long railed against Microsoft as the man, quote-unquote, as, as the big uh, tech behemoth. Uh, he would never sell out, never do such a thing. Oh, $2.5 billion? <laughs> sure, that sounds yeah, about right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that money. Um, so there might be, and, and his his followers, his the users of this game, are also very independent-minded, very creatively-minded. They've kind of followed Notch's lead on that. It'll be interesting to see how they take being, having their favorite game being acquired by the man, more or less. We saw something very similar to that, right, when Facebook acquired Oculus Rift. I mean, that's, right. that's a perfect parallel there, I think, in that, you know, they bought a, a similar, not a similar technology, but but a, you know, a content-style technology for, you know, a hefty sum. Um, and, and I think a lot of people who have been involved with Oculus Rift for any amount of time, you know, they, they feel like, uh-oh, wait, we're being sold out to the man. We're really... You know, we're we're they're getting our data. You know, using using our information to sell products. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how is that going to affect us? How do we feel about that privacy, whatnot? Um, and so those are fair those are fair concerns. And, and I mean, if you have that same sort of dynamic here, and uh, you know, gamers start fleeing and go going to other games. I mean, there are, there are plenty of them out there. I mean, we've seen time and time again these these things can can be uh, you know they can pass in an instant. So. Fickle. Very fickle. Now, is that the only game that that company owns, pretty much? Or is that the only one To my meaningful? knowledge, yeah. It's the big one. It's okay. Yeah, the, the creator, Notch, has done a couple yeah. other smaller things, but the, it's, it's That's Minecraft. what they paid $2.5 billion for. Well, and they exactly. want to try, try to monetize it. To be, to be fair, I mean, they want to try to monetize it at least to a degree the way Amazon purchased uh, Twitch, right? right? I mean, Twitch is uh, where, where people can actually go on and watch mm-hmm. people playing video games and learn more about how they get to these certain levels or whatever. So it is entertainment. I, there's a huge audience out there for this. And, and if they're able to successfully, you know, add that dynamic to it, I mean, it could be, you know, an interesting little subscription model if they just, you know, tack on a small little monthly fee of, of something that, that, you know, nobody even really notices. It, it who knows? Maybe it could work out. Taylor, you snickered when he said, "When he said watching people play video games, do you not yeah. watch people play video <laughs> games? Because you're one of the few these days. There are millions of people out there doing this." When I when I'm in a room as the video games are going on and I'm not playing it, I get a little bored. So if I'm not going to sit at my computer when I don't even have a joystick in my hand, I'm not going to bother with it. I mean, I I, <laughs> I agree. Like I, I 
I wouldn't do it either, but there is a tremendous audience out there that does. Yeah, yeah I, I was heard, impressed to see that. Like, I heard of them building an entire arena out in yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Macau yeah. just for gaming conventions and competitions. So it's yeah. obviously I'm on the outside looking in. Clearly. <laughs> or not looking in. Guys got to play some games. Donkey Kong, <laughs> great game. All right. Uh, <laughs> Plenty of drama with Minecraft or Minecraft and Microsoft. Plenty of drama in the world of beer this week. On Sunday, Heineken NV rebuffed an approach from SAB Miller for an acquisition. Then on Monday, shares of SAB Miller got a big boost on the speculation that its major rival, AB InBev, would make a bid for Miller. Now, just to give you an idea of how big a potential AB InBev, uh, SAB Miller combination would be, in 2008, InBev bought uh, Anheuser-Busch for $52 billion, the biggest merger in this industry to date. The potential InBev-Miller deal would run for about double that, or actually over that, at $122 billion. Uh, so, guys, why the merger? Uh, does AB InBev just want to be the biggest beer maker in town? You know, for me, these two companies are, are so so fairly similar that I don't understand the merger here. I, I get the Heineken merger. That makes perfect sense. You've got geographic diversity, uh, brand diversity, taste difference. Mm-hmm. But SAB Miller and AB InBev, yeah, I guess they just want to be the giant and look for more cost-cutting moves because that's what AB InBev has done recently. Uh, like you mentioned, they got Anheuser-Busch. Uh, last year, they got Grouper Modelo. So they're doing these these pretty mega mergers at a time when stocks are riding high, not just for the market, but especially in this beverage sector. Um, Heineken hasn't really been doing all that well. So I get, again, I get that I get that mode of uh, SAB Miller going after them, trying to compete with AB InBev, but AB InBev just wants to kind of eliminate the nearest competition, and that's SAB Miller. Um, and they can probably squeeze a few billion dollars in cost savings out of it because the, the industry is slowing down. If you look at these generic American style pilsners. Mm. Um, other industry, other areas of the industry are growing f- pretty rapidly, but uh, this doesn't seem to be tapping into that. Well, that's the question. So you you mentioned it. AB InBev especially has been reliant on mergers recently yeah. for growth. Is that the only avenue left for growth for beer makers out there? Jason, you were talking earlier. You guys did a a. a, a you looked at the big guys versus the little guys, the yeah. Sam Adams versus the Millers. What's your take yeah. on that? Well, I mean, so you have sort of two two markets here. You have just sort of the general beer market, and then you have the, the craft beer market sort of subset of that. And so beer in general uh, is, is a relatively flat, no pun intended, market. Ah. Um, it's growing sales very slowly. I mean, maybe 1% a year mm-hmm. overall. Uh, so there's there's not a lot of growth in there. Craft beer is growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, we're talking double digits, fifteen, you know, twenty percent annually because you see all of these new craft beers that are coming out to market, and and these big companies like Anheuser and Bev and whatnot, they're trying to you know s- swoop those up as they can. Mm. Um, so, so you know, I think that for I think Taylor hit it there with with the combination of these two companies. It it really is. It's about getting a few more geographical areas that they're not in today, uh, and then really, you know, taking advantage of that scale to wring out as many costs as they can, um, because the growth is really coming on the craft beer side, not on not on just the general the general beer side. Um, and, and I mean, Anheuser uh, Anheuser Busch and Bev has proven uh, very very adept at doing this. I mean, you look at the five year chart on the stock; it's it's performed very well. I mean, yeah. his stock is up over 140 percent, beating the market nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, that that's that's what this would be about: it just you know scale and and wringing out the costs. And you know, I don't I don't think they're going to they can't purchase these craft brewers and really witness 
much much on the bottom line mm. because they're so small, right? Right. And then the other the other problem there is when you when you acquire those little craft brews, you know, the perception is at least that they change the recipe slightly to to be able to make it more, uh, you know, to to make more of it, right. uh, which can then chase drinkers of that said craft brew away. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a scale game, plain and simple. Distribution, obviously, uh, and and with these two companies. With their global footprints combined, it would be a formidable, My <laughs> formidable. Gosh. Every Super Bowl commercial, <laughs> all this coming year will yeah. be yeah. If, if they do merge, will be yeah. uh, under one company. Yeah, InBev has twenty percent share of the global beer market, at least in twenty thirteen. SEB Miller had nine point six percent. They get a roughly a third of the beer market. I didn't realize ABMF have that big of a lead. That's oh yeah, that's, that's more than that's double. It's yeah. insane. Uh, it is fall, which means pumpkin beers pumpkin and all the Oktoberfests. <laughs> yeah. Before we go, guys. Give me your favorite Octoberish beers. For me, I'm always a Sam Adams fan. Went to college in Massachusetts. Gotta love me a good crisp fall Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Taylor, what about you? I had Red Hook's uh, mm. pumpkin porter actually the other day. Very good. I'm not usually the biggest fan of pumpkin beers. That one really set it off. Every now and then in the fall, I like to go with the cider. I don't drink them very often, but uh, the the crispness of a cider kind of kind of does me on one of those cool fall evenings. Makes sense. Cider's yeah, making a move. Sense. That's why Boston yeah. beers bought, and you know, they did a great job buying Angry Orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, man, I, I like uh, St. Adams Oktoberfest. I'm gonna give our buddy Charlie Travers a shout out here because he's the one that introduced introduced me to uh, Schlafly Pumpkin Ale, which is. Schlafly. By far and away, the to, to my mind, it's the best pumpkin beer I've ever had. It's I, I was always a big fan of Dogfish Head's pumpkin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Schlafly to me is just just a notch above it. So All right, I listeners, recommend getting out there and give it a shot. They have it over at the uh, Whole Foods down the street. And if if listeners want to just send us pumpkin beer, I mean, that's, we are never uh, averse to just giving them a try. I'd say yes. Uh, we and can if even you build actually, a show around it, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say if you guys want to send us your own pumpkin favorite pumpkin flavored beers or favorite fall beers, send us an email at radioatfool.com. Yeah, All sounds right. like a plan. Yeah, we got a whole new show. I mean, we'll have a taste test. Oh, this is this. Could be Rumor fun. has it, AB InBev wants to buy Shellfly pumpkin for oh, yeah? pumpkin ale now. Nice. There you go. It's just on our recommendation alone. All right, Taylor Muckerman, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Mark Reed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.